0: there, welcome to the Cory Doctorow podcast. I'm Cory Doctoro. it's my podcast. Uh, it's the last podcast of the year, and um, my Christmas plans have been completely hosed. So we had a very hairy week last week because British Airways announced that they were going on strike, and uh, we were meant to be meeting family in an undisclosed but very warm location uh, somewhere near the equator. Uh, yeah over Christmas break and it turned out we couldn't do that if BA was on strike and so we were trying to rearrange things and we were rebooking and calling around and making contingency plans Then, and then a court found that the strike vote was invalid so we were back on again and we were very relieved and everything is great and now we've had uh, a family health crisis nothing super serious but it means that we're also going to have to delay our flight by a couple more days um, BA were very good about it they've, they've rebooked us without a charge because things were so hectic last Last week, and we're just hoping we're, we're now f- uh, flying on Christmas Day, which is a pretty slow day to fly. should be a, Should be actually a fairly easy flight, especially with a tired kid. Um, but uh, it's still going to be a little bit hairy, and we're um, we're we're not entirely sanguine about this. So I've got my hopes uh, that it all turn out okay. I'm sure it will, and I'm sure we're going to have a nice, relaxing trip. But in the meantime, it's. Um, Uh, we're all pretty stressed out around here. Anyway, uh, the good news is that um, the work on the other fiction projects are going really well. Uh, The story that I started uh, last week after the last time I talked to you, I guess, uh, Clockwork Fagin, is my steampunk young adult story for Kelly Link and Gavin Grant's forthcoming anthology. That has gone really well, um, although it's extremely grim and Dickensian. It's about the the kids at an orphanage where the um, children... Who've been sold into service in the great machines of the steampunk uh, past, who've been crippled by the machines, are sent to this orphanage where they're meant to be rehabilitated, and instead they're beaten and sent out to beg by this horrible fagin character. Um, this is the story of how they kill him and replace him with a clockwork uh, facsimile, who uh, an, an usher in a golden era among the uh, the, the clockwork uh, among the, uh, the the horribly disfigured and and uh, dis- disabled children. So it's it's very dark Dickensian kind of thing, but it's been very fun to write. Um, One small note before I get to reading about the story. Uh, There's a thing called TAF, the Transatlantic Fan Fund, and this pays for science fiction fans from one side of the Atlantic to visit science fiction fans on the other side of the Atlantic. Um... So uh, the way that that works is there's a kind of open ballot every year where fans put their names down for uh, their their desire to go overseas. Oh, there's 10 a.m. on the old cuckoo clock. Uh, knapsack on my back. Anyway, uh, fans put their names down as wanting to, to use the fun to go overseas and when they go overseas they kind of act as ambassadors from science fi- one science fiction fandom to another. This was all obviously a lot more significant in the age before the internet when fans really only knew each other by fanzines uh, and when long distance travel was extremely expensive. Um, but even today it remains a really important and critical line between different, um, different fandoms. So, um, there's this thing called the Transatlantic Fan Fund, and they raise money every year by asking writers to auction off the right to name a character in a story. And perhaps now you see where this is going. Uh, I sold off the right to be uh, to be named after a character. I have a character named after you in uh, one of my stories, and the story is The Martian Chronicles. And the winner was a very nice gentleman named Dave Smith, who has won the right to have a character named after him. The character he's had named after him is the character formerly known as Brian Oglethorpe, who has now, through the magic of Global Search and Replace, been renamed Dave Smith throughout... (laughs) And um, I will try to remember to uh, call him Brian as I finish reading this story to you, but it may be that I'll miss a couple. Please don't be too confused if you hear Dave and Brian and Oglethorpe and Smith used interchangeably through the course of the story. Uh, I see by the scroll bar that we're more than halfway through this story, so I guess it should be finished within a couple of weeks of my return on the 11th from uh, overseas. Anyway, here we go. Uh, along into uh, a continuing reading of The Martian Chronicles, a story for Jonathan Strawn's forthcoming anthology, um, Life on Mars. I didn't go back to the junior colonist lounge for a whole week. Instead, I spent the time with my dad, who seemed pleasantly surprised that his son wanted to hang out with him. It made me feel bad, like I'd been neglecting him. But it also made me ask myself why my father didn't think it was weird that I wasn't spending any time with kids my own age. Dad had always been busy on earth, traveling half the time for work, spending his time at home with his computer over his face, barking angrily at it while his hands worked the keyboard like a mad player attacking a church organ. I didn't mind, to be honest. Actually, I preferred it to those times when Dad decided to get all dad-like and insist on throwing a ball with me or take me to some kind of sports match or play some game on the big living room screen with me. It wasn't that it wasn't fun, but there was always a moment when we stopped talking about the game or the project and found ourselves sitting in awkward silence, trying to pretend that the reason we had nothing to say was that we were concentrating too hard on the matter at hand. On earth, Dad had been a hotshot statistical risk analysis. This is not an easy thing to explain, but basically what he did was try to figure out how to balance investments and to minimize risk. Say there's an industry that benefits when someone finds a better way of growing wheat. The bread industry, say. And then there's this other industry that suffers when someone finds a better way of growing wheat. Like maybe, I don't know, the corn industry? I forget how he explained this, to be honest, but this is generally the idea. So what he does is he figures out how to invest some money in both industries so that if someone finds a better wheat-growing technique, the investment in bread pays out, and if no one invents it, the investment in corn pays out. That's the rough idea. What he did was like 10 million times more complicated, though. And anyways, it doesn't really matter now. Now we're going to Mars, and there are no risk analysts. When we got to Mars, Dad was going to have to start a new business, or start a job, or something. He had bought us into the gold tier for Mars settlements. That meant that we were going to get our own private pressurized space, six months' worth of food vouchers, and a million Martian ray guns. This sounds like a lot, but keep in mind that a pressure suit costs 450,000 Martian ray guns at last count. For this, he traded everything. Every penny we had. Our house, our furniture, our savings, everything. What were we going to do with it anyway? It wasn't like we could take it to Mars. Our personal luggage allowance was limited to 15 kilos each. Dad, I said as we loitered in one of the corridors, nodding amiably at the other colonists as they went past on their way to the toilets or the common rooms or wherever it was, everyone else always seemed to be going. He didn't hear me. He was looking into space, lips pursed, brows furrowed. It was the expression he'd worn back in the office when he'd been neck-deep in work, computer plastered across his face, only his lips and nose visible. It was weird to see him making that face without a computer. More than weird. Scary. Like he was seeing into a world I couldn't see. Everything okay, Dad? I'd never asked him that before. Oh, yes, sorry. I was a million miles away. Fifteen million miles, I said. According to the morning barsoom. That was the ship's blog, written by some crew member and Simplified. But we're closing fast. Mars in 49 days. Right, he said. Right. Exciting, huh? He said it so unconvincingly that my heart nearly broke. For years he'd been talking about Mars and how great it would be when we got there. He hated the Earth, hated all the rules and regulations, all the whiners who wanted him to invest in ethical funds that gave up on profits so that other whiners would get paid more. Mars was like some kind of promised land that we were headed to, a better world for people like us. Exciting, I said. He looked away. Dad, you don't seem so excited, though. He put on a big fake grin. I'm excited, son. It's just, you know, space travel isn't as glamorous as I thought it would be. You know me. I'm no good at sitting idle. I'm just itching to get some work done. How about starting something up with someone on board? I heard that lots of people are starting their own little corpse. You know, hit the ground running. I couldn't believe I was lecturing Dad about business. It was quite a switch from the years and years of Dad telling me I should be more entrepreneurial, play a harder game of Martian Chronicles. Yeah, he said, yeah. Well, that's something I've been thinking about. But, you know, I'm investigating opportunities. Don't want to jump into something that turns out to be a bust. "'Dad, what's going on? Back on Earth, you were always telling me to seize the opportunity. Fail fast. Move on. Why are you being so... I wanted to say scared, but Dad's face had gone all furious the way it did, so I didn't finish the sentence. "'There's some things you don't understand, kid, believe it or not. Some things that you're going to have to age a year or two before you can grok them. Why don't you run along and play, Sonny?' He said it in the tone he used when he was telling off some idiot who just didn't get it, someone who was a whiner or a bureaucrat. He often asked those people, What planet are you living on? Which I always thought was funny. After all, he was the one who wanted to leave the planet and go to a better one. It wasn't funny now. I slunk away back to the room and found Mom. One of the other moms had come over to our cabin for a chat. All the moms in our corridor had found each other shortly after launch, and it seemed to me that they'd nearly instantaneously formed a tight social club. I kind of envied them the ease by which they came together as a group. It reminded me of when I'd been a little kid at after-school programs, and the moms would all be in this tight cluster, chatting away merrily, even as the dads stood off in quiet clumps of two or three, twitching impatiently at their computers." Mom and her friend, Ms. Bonilla, who spoke simplified mostly, though Mom said she could also speak French and Portuguese as well as her native Spanish, both smiled at me as I entered. I wanted to say something like, Mom, is Dad losing his freaking mind? But I couldn't say that in front of company. Hello, David, Ms. Bonilla said. She was very pretty and young-seeming, and I remembered Mom telling me that she'd had a ton of surgery and took pills all the time to keep up her appearance because Mexican companies are even harder on aging women in the boardroom than American ones. Dad had made a face at that. It was getting into whining territory, and the Eagle was a no-whining zone. Good day, Ms. Bonilla, I said. That's what we'd all settled on, on board the Eagle, where it was always morning for someone, always afternoon or evening or midnight for someone else, depending on which sleep schedule you kept. Mom cocked her head at me. Things not so good with your father, David. Of course she knew. She spent a lot more time with him than I did. Always the same for Mr. Bonilla, Ms. Bonilla said. All the men. It is the no activity. They can't live with no activity. A lot of simplified was like that, taking a word like activity and making its opposite by putting no in front of it. Mom sighed. David's father has it big big, from big big important to small small no important, making him crazy. Mars, Ms. Bonia said. I remembered that she had been a big big important too, the head of a giant cement company, but somehow she was coping okay in transit. Mars, Mom agreed. Mom loved to pore over the Ares Plane Dealer colonist edition issues that came in over the ship's radio, especially the want ads. My husband wants start a corp on Mars, not me. I say work sometime, see how it all is, then start a corp. Why run without looking? But Dad is... He's crazy. It's temporary. There are many no-no's about Mars. He wants information. Wants to try things. Can't do either. Your father is big, big information processor. Without information, he starves. He's big crazy with hunger. Understand that, David. He's not angry with you, just frustrated with the delay. That settled it. But if Ms. Bonilla wasn't there, I would have said, But how come so many other dads managed to cope? Why are all these other dads out there trying to form corpse and get ready to hit Mars running? but not in front of company. There wasn't anything to say to mom. Dad didn't want to talk to me. My only friends on board weren't talking to me. Or was it me who wasn't talking to them? There was only one thing left to do, and that was to get back into the game. You've been listening to the Cory A Podcast, licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike US 3.0. Or as Woody Guthrie put it in another context... This song is copyrighted in the U.S. under seal of copyright 154085 for a period of 28 years, and anyone caught singing it without our permission will be a mighty good friend of ours, because we don't give a dern. Publish it, write it, sing it, swing to it, yodel it, we wrote it, that's all we wanted to do. Many thanks to John Taylor Williams for mastering. That's Studio, W-R-Y-N-E-C-K studio at gmail.com. John Taylor Williams is a full-time, self-employed audio engineer, producer, composer, and sound designer. In his free time, he makes beer, jewelry, odd musical instruments, and furniture. He likes to meditate, to read, and to cook. Talk to you next week.